Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor, nurse, midwife, turned podcast host. It is our job and passion as midwives to listen to everyone else's story, their journey, their birth story. Now it's our turn to share. So here I am asking these midwives, what's your story? Join me each episode to hear the journey, the passion, and the mission of midwives today. Okay, more good day, Journey to Midwifery podcast listeners. Today, I get to interview Amber, a certified nurse midwife. So, Amber, say hello. Tell us about yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Amber Peasley. I am a certified nurse midwife. I'm currently a PRN practitioner out of Memphis, Tennessee, but I live in Asheville, North Carolina. My main role or job is to work as a medical and scientific liaison for non-invasive prenatal testing and anti-mullerian hormone for Roche. That is cool. I love that. So can you share with us why you went into midwifery in the first place? Yes. So I kind of have a unique story. Um, I was not originally going to be a midwife, as a matter of fact. So I was a direct entry or um, an RN to NP uh, entry into Vanderbilt. And originally, when I entered into school, I wanted to be an adult nurse practitioner and a women's health nurse practitioner. I didn't even know that midwives existed. I didn't know um, what they were or who they were. But in our first year of school, when our getting when we're getting our RN licensure, we have to do all of the same rotations. I'm sure everybody does. And on my labor and delivery rotation, all I saw for I think it was six weeks were C-sections. And I didn't see one vaginal birth. And I thought, that can't be right. Um, Because I had heard my mom talk about her birth stories. So my mom had unmedicated births. She had precipitous births. So, um, you know, her births were always fast and furious. And so I went to my clinical coordinator, my preceptor at that time. And I was like, what's going on at this hospital? And she quoted me the C-section rate, which was close to 50%. And I was like, what? That can't be normal. And she said, you should go talk to the midwives. And I was like, who is that? What is that? And I went and I talked to the midwifery program director who set me up with a midwife um, who was in the attached practice to Vanderbilt. And I shadowed her for two weeks, and that was it. I was set. I was like, this is it. This is me. I don't want to do anything else. You were hooked. I, oh, uh, like, I hadn't even seen a birth yet, truthfully. The very first vaginal birth I ever saw was the very first baby I ever caught. It, it gets you. It's like it a, does. adrenaline no, rush. I mean, it was incredible. It was incredible. Um, and I never looked back, basically. So you changed your education path and you were I at Vanderbilt did. the whole time. How is uh-huh. there yep. 
program set up exactly online and classroom, all that? Um, so at the time, and I actually, honestly, I don't believe that this has changed, but it may have. So other fellow Vandy people out there, feel free to correct me. Um, but at the time, uh, we were required for our first year to be on site completely the entire time. Um, and that's when we were getting our RN licensure. And then the second year, so directly after we take the NCLEX, we start our second year of school, which is depending on what specialty you have chosen. Um, and they have a wide, they have every specialty to my knowledge. So depending on the specialty you have chosen, that's what you get into. So I actually chose CNM FNP as a specialty, both at the same time. Um, so every semester I took um, mostly CNM classes, but also a few FNP classes. And then my last semester of school was all FNP, um, whether that was my um, preceptorships like clinical rotations or didactic knowledge as well. So for your graduate portion, were the classes in class or online? Oh, sorry. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't oh, answer great. that very well, did I? <laughs> uh, that's what I'm here for. So you had a choice. So like our pathophysiology class was recorded. So you could go be in class or you could listen to it online. Me personally, I listen to it almost exclusively recorded um, because of how parking was at Vanderbilt. It was kind of a pain. And so I didn't like want to pay for parking, um, but you had the choice, but mostly we had to be there for blocks and we had to be there um, for some midwifery classes. We had to be there in person. So like our first semester of school, we had to be there in person. They did work something out with one of my classmates where she could do distance, and she did do distance the entire time. Um, but we all, after our, essentially after that first school year, that next summer, we were all distance because we were all out in our rotations, I mean, around the United States, respectively. And I guess Vanderbilt is also unique in that they find your clinical placements for you. You are not responsible for finding your own clinical placements. So we all listed, like we were required to list like what our priorities were each semester. So like some of us had um, partners who, who, you know, were, could travel for work during this time, but really needed to be home during this time. So everybody chose like to be in Nashville a different semester. So for me, I chose to be in Nashville um, that spring semester, um, but I said I would be willing to travel for my primary care rotation, so I went to McMinnville, Tennessee for that, which was only a few hours away. And then that summer, I went to Rockford, Illinois, and that fall, I went back to where I'm from, which is Kansas City. That's a wide range of experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Because most people just stay in their locality. Right. No, so we, um, I mean, almost all of us, truthfully, went all over. Like one of my classmates, so we all did a semester in Nashville, whether that was antepartum, intrapartum, or integration, 
which for us is where we put everything together. Um, one of my classmates was in Nashville and then she went out to East Tennessee and was in a birth center. And then she went down to Florida. And I just have to say the clinical coordinator's job must be huge to handle. Yes. Yes. Um, as a grad now, um, when, so the program director that was there for my program has since moved on to Rush University and the program director who's there now, which is Julia Philippi, who is fantastic. I just got to give her a shout out because she's <laughs> wonderful. Um, but the program directors, you know, will reach out to alumni and say like, hey, can you guys, are you guys taking students? And what's your bandwidth basically to be able to take however many students? And that, um, that's, that's got to be hard. Yeah. Networking, just as we said uh, before. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So for frame of reference, when did you attend school there? What were the years? Mm. Yeah. So I was at Vanderbilt from the fall of 2011 to the spring of 2014. Okay. And during your school, especially your graduate portion, did you Mm -hmm. work? You, I don't think you have children, but I do not have kiddos. No, I have dogs. And, um, did you work? Did you have a partner? Like what was your work life? like then and how was your balance so conveniently I met my partner while I was in grad school and he was also in grad school so there were positives and negatives to that the positive was when I was like listen I can't like really hang out with you you gotta like do your own thing he was like it's cool I'm sleeping at the lab anyway no big deal (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah that's good That was great, but then he actually took a job um, in San Francisco, California, in May of 2013, a full year before I graduated. So then we did long distance for the the rest of the program. Um, So I was able to, in two of my clinical scenarios structure it to where um, occasionally I would have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off and I would fly out um, to California. Oh, that's, yeah. that's tough. Yes. Um, and to answer your question, did I work? I was an anatomy and physiology tutor. Um, so I tutored part time, but no, I certainly did not work full time. And truthfully, kudos to people who do. I don't think myself personally, I don't think I could have done it. So to segue into that, how did you pay for school? Oh, student loans, which are the devil. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I paid for it with student loans. I did too. I'm on that devil train with you. Uh-huh, yep. And I have, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of anxiety, certainly, surrounding student lo- student loans, um, and I just try and think of it as something that I have to do, and I do it to the best of my ability, um, and then I try and spin it to say, like, without these student loans, I wouldn't have the career that I have, I wouldn't have the connections that I have, uh, and I wouldn't be where I'm at in my career today. Yeah. So after you graduated, tell me how boards yeah. were. Um, so I feel like 
I was very lucky. I was very well prepared for boards. Um, me personally, I am probably not a good example of how to study for boards because of um, like the way that I study and I, I have a very good memory. So if I read something once or review it once or twice, maybe it's pretty well set in my head. Um, I, we, before we were taking comps, myself and a few of my friends, we all studied together and I made like big poster boards with, you know, everything on them. And then I taught it to everyone. And by doing it that way, and then we would play question and answer with each other. And that's how, that's how I studied. That's really clever. That's a great idea. Yeah, it definitely worked for me. I definitely used the ACNM prep book. Um, I did a lot, a lot, a lot of practice questions just to get myself like ready for how boards would be. Um, and I did that for like a week after I took my comp exams and then that's it. I went and took boards past the first time and yay, that was it. And how about licensure? How quick was that? What state did you get licensed in? Yeah, so that's another, um, I guess, unique thing for myself. So I took boards in December of 2013, and then I still had another six months of FNP to do. Mm -hmm. So I then, um, whereas most of my classmates, there were a few of us who did FNP, um, but most of my classmates went on to be in practice and went on to their first jobs, et cetera. And um, I took boards and went back to school a week later. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then did the majority of my didactics for FNP and did all of my, um, the majority of my clinicals for FNP as well. So then fast forward six months, um, I took my first job which was in Phoenix, Arizona. Licensure in some ways was very easy in other ways was kind of a pain um, because of how the Arizona Board of Nursing was at that time. I actually physically went and sat in the Arizona Board of Nursing's office every day for like five days. Um, to, to get, get it my rolling. To get my license done. Yeah. Yeah, so I got a temporary license at the end of June, early July. And then I believe my permanent license arrived at the end of July, early August. So not too terribly long, but kind of a rough process. It sounds like it was, um, because I was out of state when I started the mm -hmm. licensing process, which so, is always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell uh, us about your your career pathway so far, your first job, how you found it, and then on after that. Yeah. Um, so my very first job out of Phoenix, Arizona, I actually found on indeed.com. Um, I was, we were specifically looking, so my partner um, is originally from Guatemala and his parents live in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. And so we were looking for locations that were a two-hour flight to Kansas City and a two-hour flight to Cabo or, you know, equidistant is what we're looking for. 
So Phoenix fit the bill for that. Um, I saw the job on Indeed. I applied. Um, I had an interview shortly thereafter. Um, And this is when we, so Alejandro's job was in San Francisco at the time. And so we were actually kind of living there intermittently while I was going back and forth between there and Nashville to get our stuff ready to then, you know, like figure out where we were going basically. So I had an interview in Phoenix. They flew us both down and it was an all day interview process. So I flew in the night before, um, did the interview with the CEO first. And then I went to, um, what was potentially my practice location and kind of interacted with the MAs and the supervisor there. And I think a few of the physicians and a PA was there that day. And then I met a bunch of the midwives that night at dinner. Um, but the way that this practice worked is they kind of separated out their midwifery groups. So this practice spans locations all over the Valley. So there can be, an hour to an hour and a half in between some of their practice locations. Um, so the midwives that I met with, I knew I would never, um, be in practice with outside of mentorship. Um, so I chose this practice for their mentorship program, which is where they have a new grad midwife paired with one of their experienced midwives one-on-one for the first, I believe it's 30 births. I could, I could be wrong because it's been a while, Um, but yeah, it amounted to a couple of months worth of time, and you do all of your repairs, um, postpartum rounds, etc., and that's ultimately played a huge factor into why I chose that job. And then um, I was in practice there, so I guess, sorry, let me back up a little bit. So we moved to Arizona. And um, I actually ended up (laughs) breaking my right arm about eight weeks after we'd moved to Arizona. Oh, no. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So I'm like this brand new grad. Yeah, you need your arm. I do. My right (laughs) arm is busted apart. Um, And this subsequently ended in me being in a cast from September through December. And I had to have surgery in between there um, because what broke my arm was something called a giant cell tumor, which is not malignant. Um, but yeah, so it busted my ulna apart. And then um, I was wow. in a cast. Yeah. Yeah. So this obviously significantly delayed um, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I started taking, I started my mentorship program and started taking call, um, March, April of 2015. On your own? Um, not on my own. So in the mentorship program, like I said, you're paired up. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I was on my own slash released into the wild, however you want to say it. (laughs) I believe in June of that year, maybe May. That's so bad. I just really don't remember. Um, I know it's kind of all blurs together, but yeah. So then I worked at that practice until January of 2017. 
Um, and then due to needing a better work-life balance. So I, I was going to say, before yeah. you before you tell us about your next job, in general, uh-huh. how was your schedule at that job? Obviously, you've moved on. So, yes. And that affected it. Tell Just kind of briefly mm-hmm. discuss that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, it varied. I will use a couple of different examples. Um, so this practice is open for evening hours, Saturday half day hours, which I believe potentially they've changed to be full days on Saturdays, but at the time is half day Saturday hours. Um, so when I was in a cast, um, and not taking call, I was in the office Monday through Friday, sometimes Monday through Saturday. Um, like I had to do two Saturdays a month and then I would have the weekends off. Um, but truthfully, like I would be so exhausted mm-hmm. that it would take me like a whole day to recover. So really I had like Sunday off is what it felt like. And then once I went to mentorship or the call based schedule, um, I was on call every three days, um, potentially every four, but more like every three. And it was very much so encouraged to try and get as much experience during mentorship as you could. Um, so these were anywhere from 24 to 72 hour shifts. And this was a very, very busy hospital. Um, and still is very, very busy hospital. So, um, there would certainly, certainly be times where you did not sleep the entire time. Sometimes you would get to catch a nap. Um, but not typically, Then after I was out of mentorship, we opened a practice in Central Phoenix with four midwives. And between the four of us, we did one in four call. And then you would have like every fourth weekend. But at in this practice model, you were doing call in office at the exact same time. So um, even though you were on call, you could also be in the office. And that could be Monday through Friday where you were doing both. Um, But this practice in Central Phoenix was significantly less busy, um, but you were just as busy in the office setting. Ooh. Yeah. Um, And yes. So I. What was your salary as a new grad there? (laughs) What did they pay you for all that work? So when I was office based only, I believe, and I don't mind sharing numbers. Um, when I was office based only, I believe I started at 85, maybe 90. Um, but then they had productivity bonuses. So that salary could be significantly, excuse me, significantly different. Um, like your productivity bonuses could be very high some months or, you know, not as much another month. And then they had um, like a stepwise approach to how your salary increased. So your salary increased when you started taking call and then your salary increased uh, based on how long you had been there as well. Okay. So I think when I left there, I was making 105, 105 or 110, something like that. Yeah. And then Um, you moved on. So tell us about that. I did. Yeah. Um, We just, truthfully, we needed, uh, my 
partner and I needed a better work-life balance. He was also working a job um, where he was working 70 plus hours a week. um, And I was as well. And that was, you know, 60 hours, I would say is probably average, but it definitely could be more than that. Um, Because charting as well. And I think this is something that we don't think about enough as new grads, just Mm -hmm. because you're done seeing your patients at five or five 30 does not mean you're done charting then. And mm-hmm. I think there are some people who are incredibly efficient at charting. I, unfortunately, am not one of those people. I'm not. I um, am very, very detailed. So, you know, some some people can do it and walk out the door at 530 and be done. And I applaud those people. I'm just not one of them. So for me, I was always, you know, charting a little bit later. Yeah, that's definitely important to put out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, yeah, so we just needed a better work-life balance. Um, And so we both started looking. And this practice in Memphis, Tennessee was a great fit. So it was a true 40-hour work week, a 24-hour call shift, and then two um, to three eight-hour office shifts. Um, yeah, that's that, nice. It, it was great. It was wonderful. It was like a breath of fresh air. Um, now, of course, that can vary based on if people are out on vacation or if people are out due to medical reasons or surgeries or, you know, maternity leave or what have you. Um, but yes. So for the most part, though, the schedule was very forgiving and, um, really wonderful. And that was what I was looking for schedule. Mm -hmm. And I wanted more vacation time and they offered significantly more vacation time. I believe I got 21 days in Arizona and 35 in Memphis. Yeah, that's a lot better. I mean, you have to have something sustainable. Right. Correct. And, um, Different practice models are sustainable for different types of people. And truthfully, I wanted, I felt like I was living to work and I wanted to work to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But you've since moved on. I have. That. I'm still PRN at that practice. Um, but I really started doing a lot of reflection personally And trying to figure out, like, really how I wanted to be impactful. And I think something that I realized is that for me to feel like I was being impactful on a bigger scale, I would need to um, either be at a big corporation or be in administration or, um, you know, just be away from the bedside, not be as heavily clinical anymore, um, but be more just in a different role. And I think that that is something that's really important. Um, As nurse midwives, I feel like we get overlooked a lot because we don't have a seat at the table. And so I think something that's really imperative is that we get into these administrative roles, that we get into these 
corporate roles. So for myself, I am a medical and scientific liaison, like I mentioned before, for non-invasive prenatal testing. And most people are like, what the heck is that? So what a medical and scientific liaison is, is I'm not responsible for anything sales related, but I am responsible for non-biased medical education for specific things. So like for me, it's for non-invasive prenatal testing and anti-mullerian hormone. So that means that I'm responsible for educating not only providers, um, but also just those within the medical community about what NIPT is, what it can offer, what, you know, the false positive rates are of the various technology platforms or what the, you know, no result rates are, et cetera, and what all of the different little pieces of the test are. Um, and I think that's really important for a midwife to be in roles like this. And mine is not the only role that's out there as an MSL. Um, the people who sell like Dopplers, they have MSL. I think that's Cooper Surgical that sells those. The people who um, make the Cook's catheter that we use for induction of labor or cervical ripening, those people have MSLs. Like it's just this totally different world. And having midwives be in corporate worlds and having a seat at the table is really important. I mean, I will use this as an example. At my company, which Roche is the company that I work for, there's 92,000 employees worldwide. It's a very, very big billion-dollar company. Um, I did a podcast to educate them about what a midwife is and what are the different types of midwives. I had a lot of questions when I first started there about, can you tell us what a midwife is? Can you tell us, you know, where do you do deliveries? And I would be like, yeah, let's change the verbiage. It's birth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, pizzas get delivered. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, don't say that. Um, you know, we did a lot of, like, talking about language as far as mid-level providers go. I was like, don't say that. Oh, thank you. Right. Like, th but there's a lot like that that they, yeah. they don't know what they don't know. Right. Right. Like people in these roles aren't saying it to be malicious. They're saying it because that's what they've heard perpetuated across the spectrum. And no one has ever been in this role to correct them and say, hey, we actually don't really like being called that. Here's a different term. You know, it's just yeah. it's it's about visibility and inclusivity, truthfully. So anyway, that's where I work right now. I feel like I just went off on a little side tangent. That was wonderful because, <laughs> as we talked about offline, we have we have to do that as midwives. Get your time, be at the bedside, get your skills, and then get your itchy feet and move on. What can you do to make a bigger impact? Right. No, exactly. I completely agree. I completely agree. That was wonderful. So you did, I think, really kind of discuss why and what brings you to work but if you could mm -hmm. like summarize it give me a sentence or two what is your why today that you are still calling your, that you're a midwife versus when you started how's that changed over time mm. I think when I first started 
Um, I was very naive in how I wanted to help and in how I wanted to like help the world and help women. And now I, I do still want to help women just in a different way. Mm -hmm. There are things now that I realize that I can't control. And that really what my job as a provider is, is to tell people the options that they have available, be respectful of their choice, and provide help and support to them where I can and to meet them where they are, not where I want them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was like eye-opening. Lots of personal growth in this journey oh for sure Mm -hmm. for for sure but I was also um I was younger when I started into practice um and so I think some of that is just like growing up and being more aware yeah yeah that was a good that's a good reflective answer I like it and last question for you do you have a characteristic quality, whatever you want to call it, that you feel, if you could name one thing that you feel has gotten you through this journey, what is it about you? Relying on the evidence. Okay. More than anything. Um, That's really hard. That is a hard one. And I even thought about that one before you asked me it because I knew it was going to be like, hmm. Um, I used to also... I guess I'm trying to think (sighs) leaving work at work, I think is another thing I had to learn the, learn the hard way. Yeah. Yep. That's a really good one. It's, it is so hard. Um, I think because we become so emotionally attached and invested in these women's lives Mm -hmm. that it's very difficult to go home sometime, especially if you work with an at risk population Mm -hmm. and leave that at work because like at the end of the day, we love, we love this and we make this our life, but our life is important too. Like our home is important too. And so I think just prioritizing that differently in my head for me personally, um, changed my world. And I hear that time and time again from midwives. And I think it's because we give so much of ourselves to our job. We still want to have some of us left to give to ourselves and our family. Yeah. And we have to figure out how to do that. Yeah. I mean, compassion fatigue is a real Mm -hmm. thing. Yep. It is a real thing. And I think it's ironic because things they used to tell us, um, my professors told us in school, my preceptors told me, I would be like, ha, never. That's never going to be me. And then, <laughs> like, you know, ugh, idiot. It, it sure was. It yeah. sure was. Um, yeah, they told us. I remember even, like, the class I was sitting in when they said this. They said, on average, burnout for a midwife is five years. And I was like, no, it's not. That's, like, no time. I'm <laughs> never going to be burned out. And that's not true. That is not true. Um, you know, you do get burned out. And I, I think that's another topic uh, that we don't talk about enough Yeah, is, is burnout. And um, 
you know, unfortunately, in some ways, there's only so much you can do as a provider to prevent burnout. You know, I think a lot of us are like independent self-starter type people. Like, I can do this. You know, I'm going to fix this. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you do everything that you can do to prevent it. And the system gets you. Unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's true. So deep. I know. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) It took a turn. It took a turn. But it's true. It was good. Yeah, it's good. I'm always, I love these interviews because I just really, they really are making me grow. And I hope the listeners grow and just making you really reflect on stuff that maybe you didn't think about or, you know, that hits you. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you for your time, for all the things. Of course. Of course. amazing and wonderful. I love chatting with you. Yes. Yes. This was wonderful. Another Amber which yeah. <laughs> I feel like I meet so many midwives that are Ambers. It's crazy. I wonder. It must be something with the name. It's got to mm. be. It's got to <laughs> be. What a great conversation with Amber. Things to think about in summary are taking care of yourself as a midwife, leaving your work at work, And what can you do outside the birth room to make a difference in people's lives? If you liked today's episode, please leave a review on iTunes and post a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at midwife.mommy. You can also find me at my website at www.journeytomidwifery.org. Until next time, friends.